Hello, and thanks for spending some time with us on the Priority Sale Podcast. I am Jesse Lafine. I am joined today by Greg Stanley, founder and president of Accelerant Consultants. They optimize the revenue function of organizations to help them maximize their valuation. Hi, Greg. Good morning, Jesse. Thanks for joining me. Couldn't be happier to be here. So I've actually been saving a topic for us, uh, and it's a topic that I've really enjoyed talking to you about. And uh, I've characterized this conversation around the phrase, oh, no, am I a salesperson? I think that this is especially relevant to you and the work that you do. So if you would uh, just give us a, you know, a really brief background on sort of, uh, you know, day to day, how do you help optimize revenue functions? Um, I tend to help organizations look at their holistic revenue function as opposed to doing organizational strategy or as opposed to doing specifically sales training. I help them dig into what and how and with whom they make money, help them align resources, help them align compensation, um, ensure that they've got a compelling and differentiating value proposition and are going to market in a very strategic way. Uh, in a way that doesn't just build top line revenue, but in a way that builds profitable growth and builds valuation. And a lot of the folks that you work with uh, are in professional services, correct? Yeah, I actually have a professional services background. I spent uh, about 15 years, a little over 15 years at PwC, helping that organization in the big four uh, accounting firm environment build and grow from the ground up in most cases marketing and sales organizations had done training for over a thousand practitioners, both technologists as well as accountants, tax folks. Um, and so many of my clients fit into that space as well. And I think this concept, this moment when somebody sort of um, sits back in their chair and has this realization, I'm a, I, am, am I a salesperson? Uh, I think that's so common in these professional services arenas. And so where I, where I want to start this conversation is really about that moment. Uh, how does that come about and why does it sort of sneak up on the folks that have it? Yeah, I would say there are probably in, in a typical professional services organizations about three inflection points in a, in a person's career. The first would be um, you are expected over some period of time, your first portion of your career to be really dialed in on the development of your technical capabilities, whatever those are, whether those are based in law, based in accounting, based in engineering, based on software development, based on architecture, uh, whatever they happen to be, there's, there's an intense focus on development of those skills and becoming very good at what you do and what you've been trained to do. You, at some point, get a promotion in your career and along with the promotion and the congratulations and hopefully a bit more money and a title is congratulations, you've also been given a revenue goal for the coming year, whatever that number is, 100,000, 500,000, a million dollars in incremental revenue to the firm. And it really is an, an eye-opening and, and awakening period for most people who usually receive that message in the form of, I'm not a business development person. I'm not a salesperson. I haven't been trained. I don't know what I'm doing. You're asking me to be something that I'm not. I'm an engineer by trade and training. I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant, I'm whatever I am, but I know I'm not a salesperson. And now you're telling me I have to go out and generate revenue without probably the tools, techniques, nor strategy to be able to do that effectively. The second point is when you're considered for an executive type promotion, you are a senior manager, for example, or a senior attorney and being considered for partnership in, in an organization. 
And oftentimes your admission into these partnerships is predicated on your ability to to develop business. So during that uh, time between your promotion, when you were first asked to develop business and when you're being considered for partnership, it's have you done the right things to develop business? And a lot of times the firms go into these decisions without a lot of deep knowledge in terms of the capabilities of the staff to develop business. Many people are often just in the right place at the right time with the right service area that happens to be hot based on whatever the legal environment happens to be or the building climate or um, the software demand or whatever it happens to be. Um, And they have to make decisions based on the hope that people are going to be rainmakers once they get into a partner role, because that is one of the primary roles of a partner. You're expected to build uh, build hours, you're expected to make your staff better, you're expected to manage projects, but you're also really expected to develop revenue and make an incremental contribution of the firm in your franchise, quote unquote, if you will. Uh, your silo of business that you're responsible for in that firm. So it's really the point at which you're a manager or whatever the title is, uh, uh, senior attorney that uh, you happen to be given revenue responsibility for the first time, the point at which you are being considered for admission into a partnership typically or an executive role in some organizations. And then the third point is when you actually are a partner or are a leader in an organization, Uh, And you've got to manage people that you have the expectation that they're out developing business. And you haven't necessarily, number one, received training in business development. You certainly probably haven't received training in management of people that you're expected to develop business. And so I feel like there are three primary inflection points in most of these uh, businesses, all of which tend to be fairly shocking once, once they're presented. That's one of the reasons I really, really feel for sales managers, whether they're in services or, you know, anywhere else, is that sales tends to be a place where you sort of end up because, you know, you might have a natural ability in one area of sales or something like that. Or maybe you were just really, really good at delivering the thing that you're now selling and now you're selling it. But I would say management falls into both those categories as well, right? Uh, I think that there's a lot of managers out there that were really good at the thing. And so they become managers of that thing. But selling and managing are distinctly different things than actually doing the thing that they were doing in order to get to that place in the, in the first place. Yeah, it, it, you're absolutely right, Jesse. It takes vastly different characteristics to be uh, uh, successful in an individual contribution selling role or business development role than it does to be a manager in an individual selling role. You tend to be a consumer of resources. You tend to be a bit narcissistic. You tend to be highly focused if you're successful on the attainment of your own number. Um, you are in it for yourself in most cases, and you're in it for your clients as well if you're doing it for the right reasons. In a management role, it's almost the the 180 degree opposite. You have to be in it for the organization, the attainment of organizational goals, not individual goals. You have to be a giver of time and a giver of uh, resources and not a consumer of those things. So it takes a much different um, approach and mindset and personality. And you also have to have, in my view, to be successful, a high degree of business acumen and understand why you're doing certain things and give people a sense of, of the mission and the why uh, behind why they're out bus- uh, developing business. What's really interesting about this moment uh, when I realize I might be a salesperson uh, is that it usually isn't a moment where it's like, oh, what a joyous occasion. I've become a salesperson. This is exactly where I wanted to be, right? It's almost a moment of panic. And I think you touched on one of the reasons why for sure, which is this idea that, look, I've been trained 
uh, I, I went to law school for a really long time, right? Like I'm a damn fine lawyer. Uh, I don't know how to sell. Nobody's ever really taught me this, but I think there's more to it than that, right? There's almost uh, this stigma attached to this idea of business development. I think you're absolutely right. I think you've got um, a highly educated group that are very smart people that are very technically sound in whatever technical capability they have. And that's the chosen career path. There is a stigma associated in some circles with selling. And um, it's used as a bit of a bad word. We don't sell, we develop business. Well, at the end of the day, it's really about generation of revenue. And what I can tell you is you can do a lot of things technically very well. If you don't have clients and don't have new revenue coming in the door, nobody in the organization has a job and no one has anything to do and no one gets paid. There are no opportunities for promotion. There's no ability to hire anyone new. Uh, there's no ability to serve your clients and help them fix very challenging problems that you can fix when you have this level of education and training. So I, I think the entire perspective around business development or quote unquote selling needs to be, needs to be changed a bit into this is a core function and it is a necessary and not a necessary evil for any organization to maintain viability and, and financial health. I, I love the way you phrase that. I think the, the phrase necessary evil needs to be eradicated uh, from sales and revenue because I mean, at its core, um, being a salesperson can actually bring a lot of joy and be a lot of fun. And I think um, we'd be remiss on a topic like, oh no, I'm I a salesperson. If we didn't actually really define like what a salesperson is or, or what, a, what a salesperson can be, you know, by, by any name, business development, revenue development, engagement development, I've heard lately too. Uh, but being what, like, what is a salesperson? Well, and I would say at its core, a salesperson, if you're doing it the right way for the right reasons, which everyone should be, should be about helping customers or clients solve very complex problems with whatever offering you have. You have to, as a representative of the organization and as a business developer or a salesperson, have to have a belief in the mission of what you're doing and your ability to understand that if your clients aren't talking to you, there's a problem they have that may be known, it may be unknown to them, that if they're not talking to you, they're not able to solve and they can't run their business as well without your product or service. So you are doing a disservice to them by not reaching out and having the conversation, at least attempting to educate people on your experiences and the types of outcomes you're creating for others. If you're in one of those roles and you don't have that sense of mission, you're probably in the wrong role or the wrong organization. Which is such a great point because I really do believe that the vast majority, the vast majority, if not almost, or if not all, uh, people who are in a business development role, if you ask them, hey, you know, which law firm, which accounting firm, which engineering firm should somebody choose? Almost all of them would say us every single time. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. So why then is there this idea that telling somebody why or telling somebody like, hey, these are the reasons why we should, you know, really work together and here are the problems I can solve for you sort of becomes this like, uh, I won't call it terrifying, but certainly not an enjoyable prospect for a lot of people put in charge of it. Well, and you're absolutely right. And while I think that's um, noble and in most cases believed by the people that are saying, why, of course, you should use us as your software development firm or as your architecture firm or engineering firm or whatever firm you happen to be affiliated with. The challenge in that is that organizations in the professional services space tend to have poorly or underdeveloped value propositions. 
And their value propositions tend to be around, we have the best people and we have the most dedicated people and they have the best experience and we train the best. And the problem in that is if you ask somebody what accounting or law firm or engineering firm a, a customer or client should choose, the answer is always us. But the answer also, once you get to the why, is around all of these notions of having the best, most competent, most educated, most highly trained, most client-centric people in the organization without necessarily the realization that every other uh, competitor they have in their own respective fields is saying the exact same thing. There's not one competitor that you have if you're in professional services that's saying, well, you're right, my people are mediocre. And you're right, we really don't train our people all that well. And you're right, we don't partner with our clients. We're not very responsive or accessible. So I think it's, it's incumbent upon these organizations not to just arm people with the notion that they're the best firm to work for, but also arm them with the why when they take it to market so they can do it in a consistent way and in a way that's compelling and differentiating, not just sounding like every other competitor you have in your own space. Uh, you and I both do a lot of work uh, with sales organizations uh, trying to help them develop uh, those differentiators, their you know, unique advantages uh, that they bring to the marketplace. And I don't know if your experience has been like mine, but it always starts off with number one, our people, right? Whether it's experience or longevity or whatever it is. Uh, and then once you press on that just a little bit, uh, then it basically boils down to we care more. The, the phrase I use, the, the second thing always boils down to basically we give more than our competitors, uh, which is, I guess, really hard to prove, right? Uh, once you can break through that and once you can push past that, uh, that's when you start to get into some areas where you can actually maybe start to make some you know, ground, like what are some of the ways that uh, professional services organizations have successfully differentiated themselves and sort of escaped that commoditization? Yeah, there are certainly differences in service models. There are differences in methodologies. There are differences in geographic placement of people. There are differences in experiences and outcomes they're providing to their clients. Those are the things that your prospective clients want to hear about. The rest of the stuff when it comes to people and we care more and we partner with our clients and that tends to be market noise. And I, I had over my career seen a lot of that in RFP responses for clients. If you're in a, in a type of space that requires request for proposal responses where that was sort of the leading thing, the, the, the thing that was supposed to be compelling about the RFP response, we have the best people and we care the most. And what I can guarantee you is if that prospective client got 10 RFP responses, they all said exactly the same thing. So what does the client do in the case where everybody sounds the same? They turn to the price page. So unless you wanna be the commoditized service provider and the, and the service provider known for low cost service, you're, you're effectively unable to win in those situations because you haven't put yourself in a position where you've helped the client understand what is compelling about the way you do business and why is it different and why am I going to have a different outcome by working with me? And in fairness, there can be a low cost option, but there can only be one in every market. Yeah, and, and in the vast majority of firms, I don't know that I've ever talked to a professional services firm when you ask, how do you compete in the market and why do you win? I don't know that I've ever gone to one that hasn't said, well, we're not the low cost provider. We provide a premium service. Okay, help, help me understand what that means. 
And a lot of times that again, takes us down the path of, well, we have the best people and we train the best. And, and so it's really digging into that value proposition. that's going to be important and, and is going to be one of the key tools that you'll arm your people with when they get to the point where they're promoted into a position where they're expected to develop business they're going to need some of those weapons like that value proposition to go to market with and not just go with the brand name of your firm and a list of all of the things that you're capable of performing. I love thinking about the opposite of this uh, because it really makes me laugh. Like just thinking about like Jesse's discount accounting services, right? Like we're $25 an hour. Our people are not the best. They're not trained. Uh, we do absolutely nothing, uh, you know, to, to reach out, to, to actually help you. But, by God, we are the cheapest accounting service out there. Do you want to do business? <laughs> I just don't think yeah. that, that really goes over. Well, and their organizations, and, and you know, not to pick on a Walmart, but that's their business model. Their business model is based on being the least expensive option, um, but you don't go into a Walmart necessarily expecting a high degree of service. And I don't think when you get into a professional services environment, you want to be known as the Walmart within your industry. That's generally not how people want to characterize themselves. Yeah. And that's certainly not to disparage any of the people at Walmart or anything like that. It's just like, if I want a, you know, a high-end experience where I'm going to get some like running shoes, for example, right. Um, I would expect somebody at a, you know, high-end boutique to spend a lot more time with me, to educate me, to go through all that stuff. And nobody walks into a Walmart with that expectation whatsoever. That's right. And, and they acknowledge that they own that space where people want a lower cost option. They go to Walmart and Walmart does a great job of owning that space. But in professional services environments, very few professional services firms want to own that space. So I want to take a look uh, a little bit at these organizations, because uh, by and large, we've sort of painted, I think, a fairly accurate picture, honestly, of um, these places where I'm uh, you know, really good at what I do. Uh, I really want to progress my career. And it's sort of like a, a pat on the head and a revenue goal and a go get them tiger and not much else. So what can these organizations really be doing to sort of get through this so that we don't have these moments where it's like, oh, no, I'm a salesperson? Yeah, I think it's very important to encourage people to walk before they crawl and crawl before they walk and walk before they run. And in a lot of these organizations, as I said, um, there has been no training, there have been no tools, there's been no uh, forewarning that these types of expectations are going to come at the point at which they're promoted at, at a certain level. Um, my view is starting people in the firm, understanding that this at some point will become an expectation and starting to just either take them along on meetings that are business development meetings just for an experiential perspective or from an experiential perspective, um, introducing them to certain training elements of developing business, encouraging them to maintain the networks of the people that they were friends with in college that they know were successful in college are going to be successful from a career perspective and at some point maybe have needs that could benefit them or at least be an important networking source uh, for the people. Um, and, and I think giving people the expectation early on that this is coming and arming them with some of the tools. I think the problem that a lot of these firms get into is for lack of those things, there is a really high degree of anxiety. And that in, in a lot of cases, unfortunately, drives attrition in firms that can't afford attrition. Hmm. And so people say, you know what, this business development thing is not for me. I don't feel equipped. I don't feel prepared. I don't feel trained. I don't feel like I have any weapons or maybe not even a lot of support. And therefore, I'm going to go take a job in corporate somewhere being 
an engineer or an accountant or an attorney or whatever your, your uh, selected trade is. Um, so I think this will help stem the tide of some of the attrition that's driven directly from the expectation of business development by people who feel like they're completely unprepared and blindsided by the expectation. So if, if I were to leave these organizations with three pieces of advice in terms of building a more effective revenue function, and this is not an easy process, it's, it's a cultural transformation process, but if you don't want to be viewed the exact same as all of your competitors in the marketplace, it is necessary that you take this on and it will drive more revenue, more profitable revenue, higher valuation, higher partner comp, which is the, at the end of the day is what most of these organizations are looking for. So the three things that I would leave these organizations with are number one, give your people the training and tools to relieve the anxiety, potentially stem some of your own attrition and differentiate your brand in the marketplace which likely based on the number of value propositions I've seen for organizations and the level of similarity across all of them, your brand, whether you think it is or it's not, is likely not very differentiated in the marketplace. Not that you're not capable, your brand's just not very differentiated. So that's the first piece. Give your people the training and tools. The second piece is be strategic about it. This is not a quantity game. This is not about loading your people up with more work to do in a business development realm. This is about a quality game. Understand the clients that are going to make you a better firm, that are going to be a good partner for you, that are going to appreciate your value proposition and your partnership and the outcome that you have the capability to give and go after those people with a rifle shot. If I can make a hunting analogy, you don't typically go into the woods with a shotgun and just start blasting through the trees. And if you shoot enough shells, hoping something falls out that you might be able to eat, you prepare yourself for what you're going to hunt with the right camouflage, the right environment, the right time of day, the right ammunition, the right um, weapon. All of those things need to be in place and you need to understand, be very strategic about it. And, and I would encourage a lot of firms too. Um, most firms that I've encountered, every dollar is a good dollar. And in the business world, every dollar is not a good dollar. And you need to really differentiate and be selective from a client perspective as well. And understand the fact that based on the fact that you're in a professional services environment and your inventory is the hours of the people that you have, so it's finite. Also, the number of clients you can take on is finite. And so therefore you need to be selective in terms of those clients that have the ability to be uh, more highly profitable, that have the ability to consume more services or products that you have to offer, those that have growth potential that others may not, those that aren't hard on your people or make your people quit because the relationship just isn't good and do some stratification of your clients. And so therefore when you have a great opportunity to bring in a, a brand new client, it's not a heavy burden on your staff because it's just more work on top of already too much work that they don't have the time to get done. It's more work that's replacing less good work. And therefore, over time, you mold a client portfolio into something that will, be, will have higher growth opportunity and be more profitable for the firm. So be strategic, number two. Number three, be patient. These things take time. This is, as I said earlier, a cultural evolution of your firm you will at the end of this be differentiated. You will be more compelling than your competitors. You will have an organizational ability to speak about the outcomes that you present in the marketplace. You will be much more strategic. You will have a much better run firm if you take this path, but it is not an overnight exercise. So this is not about um, 
the opportunity cost of working three more hours for a client at $300 an hour or doing this, this needs to be done. And there is certainly opportunity cost in not doing this because longer term, uh, you're going to be stuck with exactly what you've got today, which is, again, probably lack of differentiation in the marketplace. And to your point, this is not an insignificant task to take on for an organization. We often say uh, when culture meets anything, when culture meets strategy, when culture meets plans, when culture meets anything at all, culture wins every single time. And it is difficult and it is long to change. But the the companies that get it right and do these things that you're talking about are going to do two things. Number one, they're going to realize way better revenue functions, right? And they are going to maximize the valuation of that company. But I think second and probably equally important, I think the people that are given these revenue goals all of a sudden aren't going to turn around and say, oh no, I can't do this. They're going to say, okay, let's, let's, get, let's get this. Right. Well, and I do think it's, it's very much of a long-term play versus a short-term play. Um, in investing in this, yes, you're going to probably forego some of the hours that people could be billing. However, client or uh, staff attrition rather is extremely expensive and very hard to replace, especially if you're better people. And if your better people are leaving because there's anxiety around this or your better people aren't having the conversion rate in the marketplace that they really should have based on the capabilities and the experience and the outcome that your firm's able to create, um, it is a whole lot of wasted time. So unfortunately, a lot of firms make the decision um, strategic or conscious or unconsciously to continue to die a bit by a thousand cuts as opposed to really just invest and make it a sustained effort with some intestinal fortitude behind it. And we don't want that for anyone. Absolutely not. Uh, Greg, it's been so great talking to you today. Thanks for being here. Jesse, I really appreciate you having me on and hopefully some of your listeners will benefit from our discussion. I hope so too. You can find out more about the Priority Sale by visiting theprioritySale.com. That's also where you can go contact us to tell us your thoughts or why our opinions are very bad. Or if you heard something you like and think others would like it too, share us with a friend or give us a rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Priority Sale is produced by Tiffany Jordan and Jesse Lafine. Editing and original music by Mark Hurdle. Priority Sales is a registered trademark of Revenue Path Group, Incorporated, all rights reserved.